I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Rick Kelly. And we love to watch. We love to watch you sleep. Crawl till dawn. On my hands and knees. God damn these vampires. For what they've done to me. Hey, Rick. Hey, Peter. Hey, dudes. What's going on, guys? Uh, not much. This is this is a new month for us. We're on uh, Silent Horror, um, which is definitely a big change of pace for us, at least on the part uh, where we won't we don't hear people talk. Right. The horror is right up our alley. Um, so it's a lot quieter. It's a lot quieter. It's also kind of the month of Rick, um, a month if you get sick of Rick. It's going to be this month because he is joining us for for Nosferatu. And you will. <laughs> and you will. That's, yeah. Our money back guaranteed. If you're sick of Rick after just two low episodes for the price of nine nine nine, he'll show up on a third and somehow be more annoying. It'll happen. <laughs> you can send Rick right back to us. Um, <laughs> uh, we'll re-edit the episodes and remove Rick. Yeah. Low, low cost of forty nine. That's our new. That's our new. We we never announced our Patreon or all these other things that we've set up. So that's going to be. If you don't like a guest, we'll remove it for you. Yeah, it's smart. Uh, also make it very avant garde because we'll be responding to things that haven't been said. Yeah, and Stalinist. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. So he's. But he has uh, grace, gracefully, graciously, gracious. I'm gonna go gratefully. Graciously? I don't know. Graciously. He's he's just he's just so psyched. Guys. <laughs> just psyched. Yes, he's mortally he's excited to join us. Agreed to join us for two episodes in a row. Uh today we're doing uh Nosferatu, uh Symphony of Horror by FW uh, Murno, and then uh, next week again for Haxon. So Rick, thank you so much for uh coming on again and being in the the grinder. I don't know. Yeah, I it is my uh it's my pleasure. I'm glad you guys are doing this month. I think it's a really yeah. cool theme. Welcome to the Bone Zone. Is that better? <laughs> no, that's so much worse. The, the first thing was the first thing was like a thousand times better. Because Bone, like horror, not in that way, Rick. Don't uh, take it there. Yeah. Don't right. be that guy. Sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, just innocently talking about skeletons. Uh, so yeah, so Rick has been on though twice before. He's, he's joined us for Predator Two. He's been on Ro- for Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. So we, we Rick has told us three things about himself twice now. Yeah. So we're gonna switch it up. And Rick, tonight, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience by telling us four things about yourself? <laughs> oh man! <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. Well, I was actually at a party the other night, and we did a go around to introduce ourselves. So I think I have one really good thing. I don't know about the other three things, so I'll have to think on the fly. You don't need to be your own hype man for this. You can just say the things. <laughs> yeah, but I realized at the party I have a really good story, which was that one time uh, I had a quarter of a million dollars in cash. I thought that was pretty okay. cool. I'm interested. Yeah, of course you are. Who wouldn't be? They were. So for, for your number two, can you tell us why you had <laughs> yes, for, a quarter for, of a million dollars in cash? Yeah. Uh, so I worked on a campaign. I used to work on uh, campaigns. I was senior staff on a campaign in Nevada. We had to wire money across the country, like instantaneously, essentially overnight was the point. They were The ads were going to roll the next day. The thing was to wire money, at least at that time, you had to share a bank account. That didn't. That wasn't true with us and the people who were putting on the ads. So um, I took all the money out of the account. I was a co-signatory in the account. 
And then I tried to go to a casino in Western Union, $250,000 to Minneapolis, which it turns out is not something Western Union does. Um, <laughs> what's, the, what's their limit? What's their limit at? Their limit is like 5000 or like 10000 It's way less. <laughs> You're like, all right, I'm just going to come here 24 times today. Yeah, exactly. So I walked through a, a casino parking lot. I, th- <laughs> I think it was the um, whatever the, the Egyptian themed one was, the, the Luxor. And I had just a satchel full of uh, wrapped hundreds, uh, $250,000 in a satchel. I tried to just bring that to a desk and see if they would wire it to Minnesota, and they would not. So then I had to walk back, and it was real scary because I was like, you know. You probably were not jaywalking. You're like, I cannot afford to get pulled over and explain this right now. I was a law-abiding motherfucker. I was not (laughs) about to break any laws at all crosswalks yeah i'm checking both ways yeah not attacking any cops (laughs) yeah didn't standard behavior and there was a cop he really wanted to attack oh that guy looked like a dick (laughs) want to punch him right in his fucking face i'm just gonna i'm gonna hit him i'm gonna hit him with a quarter of a million dollars in his face (laughs) yeah oh how do you like that it's like your tax dollars (laughs) (laughs) yeah see i i pay you that's what I would have shouted as I beat him with Here's my money. Jack, Mr. Policeman. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's how I roll, generally speaking. But usually I don't have the money to, to really get the impact. It's just like a roll it of do- quarters. It doesn't work if you just throw, yeah, like a dollar bill at a cop. Yeah. You're like, no, I'm sorry, I'm not a stripper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, it did work. Eventually, I realized I personally shared a bank account with our ad buyers. So, I essentially stole the money from the campaign, deposited it into my own personal account, and then wired it from there. So, briefly, I was a quarter of a millionaire. Wow. (laughs) I kind of picture Rick running around Las Vegas or whatever, Reno, whatever it was. It was Las Vegas, yeah. Like Batman from the nineteen like sixty four movie with Adam West with the money. <laughs> like some days you can't get rid of a bag of money. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was a little bit like that. Except I, I was more like a, I was more like Shaggy from Scooby Doo. Like, what am I gonna do with this money? Yeah. So, how many seconds were you tempted? Because I can see. You yeah, know, I thought about it. I thought about it. Yeah. You run into a few obstacles, especially like, look, I've been trying to do the right thing. Some force in the universe is stopping me. I should just go move to Florida. That's probably not. They'll probably extradite you. France, (laughs) Belgium. I was in Vegas. So my thinking was Tijuana and I thought about it for probably a thousand seconds. Here's here's what you should do. You should put it all on black. (laughs) If you lose, (laughs) get the fuck out of the country. You win. You just have more money now. Yeah, totally. If not, if I were Nicolas Cage, I would have done that. But I'm not, and so I didn't. I was mostly afraid someone's going to jump me, and I have to go back and be like, "Hey, so I I decided what I would do is withdraw it in cash, and then a, and then a guy stuck me up. Like that would have been a really awkward conversation, which also would have been terrible for um, my life and career." Let me ask you one more question. Sure. Can, you can tell tell us two more things. Sure. Um, broad daylight or midday? Broad daylight. No, it was like 10 o'clock in the morning. I was walking through this this parking garage in broad daylight with this, this satchel. I, I've, I've actually never used the word satchel, except in the context <laughs> of this story. It's probably the only satchel I've ever had. Yeah, once you use satchel and it's about carrying $250,000 around like Satchel's just not gonna have the same ring when you just keep you know your pills in it yeah cliff bars <laughs> yeah. yeah 
Totally. Yeah, there's something strategic about uh, deploying the word satchel, and it's just not going to have the same ring when it's like a peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> yeah, totally. You don't put your lunch in a satchel. Yeah. You put yeah. your you put your ill-gotten goods in a satchel. That's what <laughs> it's for. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, now, uh, based on this uh, conversation, I now support stop and frisk laws. <laughs> <laughs> Specifically for me. Stop, yeah. stop and frisk Rick. <laughs> I hate that law. It's one of my least favorite laws. <laughs> Rick's got the best, like, rhyming name, and that's, I don't know how that serves you. Well, that can be your third thing. Rick, what's it like to have a name that easily rhymes with a lot of some positive things? <laughs> And some negative things. Yeah, it's funny. My my coworker. So we have a uh, at a bar next to the bar where I work. Um, we had a tab for a while, and his name is Trick. I don't think it's his given name, but he calls himself Trick. And uh, so it's Trick and Rick, and nobody else used that tab. So when they would open up their book to look at like where our tab stood it was just pages and pages that said trick and rick <laughs> like over <laughs> over and over it was like trick rick trick rick trick rick trick rick 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 uh Some two two hard-boiled detectives are really having trouble solving a case <laughs> i know i know it, it's it seems like we were just we were popping in there to expose corruption but it, yeah. you know yeah <laughs> yeah so rick uh do you have a number three <laughs> It's number four. Number, number four? four? God, it's so hard. Uh, okay, so... <laughs> I like that we make our guests uh, have, like, apparently now yeah. increasingly difficult guest appearances. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like New Game Plus. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to stick with Vegas because I lived there for a year and a half. The woman I moved there with left, and I was very sad about this at the time. And I, I went to the casino and I won a bunch of money. Like, a lot of money. And uh, then I went to a bar after that to cheer myself up. And I bought a round for the whole bar. That's the only time I've ever done that. So, that that was a pretty cool moment in my life. I was like, I literally was that guy from the movie who's like, next round's on me! <laughs> and everyone was like, hooray! You know, so uh, that was pretty cool. And it cost, it cost me, like, fucking hundreds of dollars, but I bought everybody a beer. Sounds cool. That is pretty cool. I, that is pretty cool. Yeah, I'm never going to do it again. I never should have done it in the first place. I wish <laughs> I had that money. But, uh, you know, at the moment, it was, like, a cool thing to do. If you don't have any money for the next drink, you can be go up to any person in the bar and be like, hey. Hey, remember when I just bought you that drink, like, moments ago? <laughs> so it turns out, yeah, so it turns out that was all my money. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, and now I'm sober. I guess I'm gonna. I guess I'm gonna go home unless I don't know. Someone <laughs> bought me a drink. You guys got. You guys got fair for a lift. Yeah, yeah, I've been the beneficiary of this of this once, and it was pretty amazing because it was just like an old dude bought four roses for this room of like twelve people. I was uh, four roses is a bourbon. If you're wondering. It's not a. I'm like, is he playing his own bachelorette yeah. game? <laughs> <laughs> this is not uh, trying to four, four of you in this bar will move on to the next round. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah, he was not in fact trying to fuck all of us and settle before. Uh, and that is how Peter came to date this old man. <laughs> Oh yeah, so you bought drinks for all of us, and we were like, I was like, really, I was really excited about it. And then once the shot went down, I was like, "How do I say thank you?" 
Do yeah. I, do I just tip the drink at him? What, what, what do you do here? That's actually really funny because when I did that, uh, several people came up and were like, they gave me a hug. They were like, this is awesome. And several people, you know, it was actually a pretty crowded bar. I bought drinks for like 30 people, I would oh, guess. Wow. I was telling my friend later, I was like, dude, what about those other people who didn't say thank you? Like, that's fucked up. Yeah. Like, I almost want to be like, hey, guys. You know, I was that dude who just did that. You're ruining my moments. <laughs> it's, it's always good when you take the positive thing you do into some sort of, like, negative resentment that you carry with you for the rest of your yeah. life. <laughs> exactly. exactly. That was a cool thing I did, wasn't it? Why didn't you say anything? That's, like, the most important part of, like, having long-term relationships, I think, is, like, growing out of that natural feeling. Yeah. Where you, like, do something nice and then, like, for a spouse or a girlfriend or just a good friend and you don't feel like you were thanked properly and, like, yeah. you hold on to that. And I feel like I didn't become an adult until whenever I got over whatever <laughs> Remember when you were sick and I made toast? You didn't fucking say anything about it. <laughs> yeah. That is a legitimate thing. Like, you, like, make... Like, I made breakfast in bed for my girlfriend one time, and then I thought her thank you was insufficient because she didn't say anything. Yeah. She was just... <laughs> the, reason, the reason I made her breakfast in bed is because she was she felt shitty. So, like, yeah. right. I did this thing because I thought I was being nice, and then I brought it to her, and I was like, so about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So are you are you picking up my trophy later? What is your <laughs> the yeah. rest of the day? Just going to to bring somebody breakfast in bed is a really nice thing to do, but to demand a thanks for it is yeah. to tacitly admit that you're a piece of shit in the first place. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like of course you're doing something nice for me. I'm throwing up in a bucket. If the situation was like that's why we're in this, like partnership till we die yeah so yeah. that we have each other in these shitty situations all right but where is my fucking uh Those thanks my wedding vows <laughs> <laughs> is that what you said yeah <laughs> must have been very hey, romantic we're in this partnership until we die because of, <laughs> of shitty situations <laughs> raise your glass uh, clink yeah. clink I can't Actually, my real wedding toast was more about how much pizza I've given up since we've been together <laughs> is that true that's 100% true. <laughs> she brought it up first because uh, she said that she'd never eaten more pizza in her life. <laughs> oh, I remember hearing about this. Yes. Yes. So we got two games. We got double barrels of games coming at you before we get into uh, the the classic, classic vampire movie. The first possibly vampire movie. I did a lot of research, but not about movies that surrounded it. So maybe I should shut the fuck up. Um, I would love if he did before- that. <laughs> See, this this is what I'm talking about that we're getting more and more passive aggressive. What I wanted to do when I got on the show was just yell Nosferatu a bunch <laughs> because you guys can't get it fucking together. So then there would be no way to avoid it. And I fucking forgot because I was distracted. <laughs> Nosferatu! <laughs> Nosferatu! Nosferatu! Actually, before we continue, uh, we, we need to say that we owe Rick an apology. We owe a correction yeah. that he brought to us <laughs> on, Liz, on Liz's episode uh, when for Jim Cotta. Uh, Liz brought a great game for us, and we chastised every other guest except Dustin or Zach yeah. for never bringing a game on the show. Yeah, that's true. And Rick was like, great episode. You know, Liz is a good friend of mine. 
Uh, it was really tough hearing that after I spent hours working on a game for your show that you guys forgot that I did that. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was tough. So kind of a dual lesson. Maybe don't chastise previous guests on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, and if we do, get it right. <laughs> Be accurate, Burns. <laughs> It wasn't yeah. it wasn't that big a deal, but I did talk about it to my girlfriend uh, and my housemates and my parents for like weeks. <laughs> That's yeah, that doesn't seem petty at all. I totally get it. No, I, it was not like a big deal to me. I have a whole I have a poem I can read you about it. Whatever, it's fine. Does, do you think the poem would be cathartic at all, or do you think it would just make you madder? No, it's it's just gonna make me so mad. <laughs> I will uh, resist the temptation to in a month go, and no one but Dustin and <laughs> Zach have ever come up with a game after you are about to come up with another game and maybe another one next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, totally. So, Rick, I'm going to ask you to do what, you know, all of our, our people, the Irish, have done before and uh, just bury <laughs> that. Just deep, as deep as you can go. Yeah, take it out on some loved ones that had nothing to do with <laughs> it. Uh, I've, been, I've been working on this my whole life. <laughs> Okay, uh, Rick, uh, I understand that you have a game for us. Not the first I do game have a game. brought on. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> yeah, I do, I do have a game. So the movie we're watching is, I think, Nosferatu. And uh, one of the things that I think is really amazing is that in 2015, F.W. Murnau's head was stolen, the director of the film, from his crypt. So I think that's pretty crazy because that doesn't generally happen. <laughs> So I have I have several questions about that and things kind of tangentially related. They're all A, B, C, or D um, choices. I got four questions and a tiebreaker. So you guys want to do this? Yeah, hit us. Yeah. All right. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. Okay. So, Peter, uh, this happened in 2015. It's not a joke at all. It, somebody broke into this crypt in Germany and um, stole the director's uh, face. So... Um, what evidence did the investigation turn up indicating an occult motive as opposed to just some, you know, non-occult face stealing? Was it... <laughs> the general. <laughs> the, the, the yeah, sometimes sometimes faces get stolen. This was a, sort of a singular example. So... Uh, it's a very, very high profile. Yeah. Yeah, big deal. Like how there's regular parking violations and occult parking violations. (laughs) It was a high high profile attempt at a face off. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And a great film. So, uh, Peter, the evidence, the question is, the evidence of why they were like, this is probably pretty occult, was A, a pentagram drawn on the crypt floor. B, wax residue suggesting candles had been lit. C, a large cardboard box with the word hypnosis written on it. Or D, a copy of the Book of Vampires inscribed with the words Orlock Lives. If you made up three out of four or three out of four of these, you did a kick-ass job. I certainly did. <laughs> cardboard box that says hypnosis is so specific, <laughs> I'm going to go with it. No, that's not true. That's actually a joke from... from uh, a click hole article, <laughs> but <laughs> the actual answer is wax residue. Uh, they okay. came in and they figured out people were were doing some sort of ceremony. Candles were there, or they just needed to see. Yeah, or yeah. Well, I would have brought a flashlight, I suppose, but you know that's true. That's what you would have done. I don't think you should project how you would rob a crypt. Yeah, I'm. I'm not a. I'm not a grave robber. So whatever. Uh, okay, Aaron. So. Um, 
Murnau is buried in the Stansdorf Southwestern Cemetery outside Berlin. True. Uh, there are. <laughs> it's true. It's not the question though. <laughs> Uh, I take the point, though. Okay, one one point for you. There are a lot of numerous uh, luminaries buried there, whose heads have not been stolen by grave robbers. But who is not buried there out of these people? So you have to figure out who who is not. Three of these people are buried there. One is not. If you say one person is not German and the other three are, I'm going to guess that person. Engelbert Humperdinck, the German composer best known for his opera Hansel and Gretel. Adolf Rohrbach. The German mechanical engineer who may or may not have been murdered by the Nazis. Walter Gropius, the co-founder of the Bauhaus School and the designer of famous door handles. Or Frederick Chopin, the virtuoso pianist known for his uh, piano studies or etudes. I mean, B and C are so fucking boring. That would be the weirdest way to trick me. Um, Not that getting killed by Nazis is boring, but uh, I'm going with A. No, Engelbert Humperdinck is buried there, also possessing a great name. Um, that is a great But he's also not the he's not the Engelbert Humperdinck we know, which is weird. There's another Engelbert yeah. Humperdinck. But anyways, yeah, so, uh, the answer is Frederick Chopin. He's buried in Père Lachaise in France, where I once uh, threw up on uh, Jim Morrison's grave. So <laughs> is that true? Fact number five. That's, a, that, that's absolutely true. <laughs> absolutely true. <laughs> <laughs> Some French kids got me really drunk and I threw up on uh, Jim Morrison's grave. Anyway, okay, so I think that Rick should just have a podcast where he just does like the three things about yourself every episode. <laughs> oh my god, you yeah. do like a Stephen Tobolowski style podcast where you just tell long form versions of your stories. That'd be awesome. But the thing was, I thought like Jim Morrison would be cool with that. At the time, I was really into the doors, you know? I was, oh. uh, I was like. 12 years old, I was 13 years old, I don't know, right in there. And uh, it was, it was, they were really influential for me in the sense of being, having terrible taste in music and getting high. And uh, then I went to his grave and I met these kids and they got me fucking super baked and drunk. And then I threw up on his grave and I was like, what a Jim Morrison thing to do of me. 12 is a big year for Rick. He threw up on Jim Morrison's grave. Yeah. And he tried to have sex with a college person. Yeah. Drive-in screening of Robin Hood Prince of <laughs> I, I think my, I think my parents were essentially shipping me around the world <laughs> so they didn't have to deal with me. <laughs> I, I think that's what was going on when I was 12 they years wanted, old. They, they just wanted to make sure that all of your stories kind of sounded like lies. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Or they were just really into like the notion of stories. They're yeah, just storytellers. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So I think it's um, so it's zero to zero. No one's got anything. So here, this is back to Peter. Your chance to win. After the theft of uh, Murnau's head, suspicion fell on occultists, particularly among people who remember the events of two thousand one, involving Daniel and Manuela Ruda. What was the significance of the connection? A. The two had been working on a tribu- tribute to Murnau at the time of their arrest for killings inspired by Sunrise Song of Two Humans. B. Daniel Ruda was a descendant of Murnau, who frequently mentioned how much he wished he could steal his great-grandfather's face. C. The couple killed a baker and his wife and drank their blood, and during trial it was revealed they often visited Murnau's grave. Or D. After a lengthy investigation, it was revealed they were prolific grave robbers of the tombs of German expressionists. 
Oh wow, these are really good. You you did really good for the uh, the quiz. <laughs> you, you, um, you're so impressed by my quiz. <laughs> I am. I am because writing these is hard. Um, I'm going to say uh, I'm gonna run with B. That he was a descendant yes. of Murnau. No, actually, they did kill a baker and his wife and drink their blood. It's pretty fucked up. That is the, really fucked up. Yeah, the dude. Uh, in fact. Um, uh, I don't know what you call it, but they, he like made his teeth really sharp. What do you call that? Sanding your teeth? I don't oh, know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, he, sharp teethin. Yeah, he, he sharp he, he sharp teethed himself. That old verb. Try to become, <laughs> try to become a vampire, and but they killed they killed a couple of people and drank their blood. It's pretty fucked up. And they also were less, less funny. Yeah, they <laughs> often went to Murnau's grave. So. That was the most ridiculous of the options, but after the first one, I was like, okay, so there's going to be something slightly more ridiculous than the truth. Basically, if you were making a movie version of this, you'd be like, I really wish there was a, another murder right here. Oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. They actually, uh, did you see um, that Willem Dafoe flick where he like- Shadow the Vampire. Shadow the Vampire. Yes. Uh, so they they're riffing off of um, Max Schreck's uh, identification with the role, but there's a little bit of the notion that they were associating with this this kind of high profile crime in Germany, where people were like literally sanding down their teeth and going to Murnau's grave and and trying to drink people's blood. It's weird. Yeah, that's awful. I, I, I should I should have made a funnier question. <laughs> No, I, I love it because I didn't know any of this. And I purposefully, when you told us it was about this case, I purposefully didn't look up anything around it specifically. Um, yeah. So so it's still zero, zero. Still zero, zero. <laughs> I got uh, I got two more questions. And these are much, much less grim. So this is for Aaron. Um, so the Ed, there's the Edward Classic that we know as Plan 9 from Outer Space was alternately titled Grave Robbers from Outer Space. Which of these bits of dialogue do not appear in the film? Still riffing off Grave Robbers, but we're trying to lighten the mood here. Oh, I got you. I'm like, I don't know how this is going to connect. Yeah, well, that's like great. It's grave like, robbing. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> here, here are... My favorite response you could have. Yeah. So <laughs> you've got, seen Plan got Nine. Me dead to rights. I'm now convinced that Rick needs to be a uh, needs to be a game show host. Because like, every game show host has that same cadence. Like, and uh, let's go to the board. Like, we need some. Yeah, like, yeah whatever. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm di- I'm disinterested in the, uh, the the critiques of the game. I yeah. I have my gotta, questions. Gotta, I'm gonna ask like my Peter, questions. A little bit of Peter Graves. Uh, uh, played by Phil Hartman when he did those science things in Saturday Night Live in the 80s where they would say something to him and he just would go, all right. <laughs> all right. And next. So these are these are quotes. You have to say whether they are from Plan 9. Have you seen Plan 9? I have. So let me, <laughs> I hate to back up and figure out the rules. So for each quote, I need to say if it's from Plan 9 or you're going to give me a multiple choice. You get four quotes. One of them is not from Plan 9. You have to figure out which one is not. So, A, greetings, my friend. We're all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. B, you see, you see your stupid minds. Stupid, stupid. C, 
The world is a strange place to live in. All those cars, all going someplace, all carrying humans, which are carrying out their lives. Or D, I'm muzzled by army brass. Those are your choices. I think it's C. And the reason I think it's C is the only one you didn't do an impression. You're 100% right. That uh, the, the third one is from uh, Glenn or Glenda, a very different Ed Wood movie. But uh, yeah. Oh, you, why, didn't you, you, why didn't you do an impression? I don't know. I don't know. I think I was like uh, self-conscious. <laughs> I think I just like tipped my hand. Yeah, I think so. All right. I, I mean, I knew it wasn't A or B. Yeah. Do you remember when he says I'm muzzled by army brass? That's the funny part. <laughs> no, I did. I, I did not remember that. I'm That's muzzled by army brass. I, I actually say that with alarming frequency in my life. <laughs> How often are you muzzled by army brass, Rick? Every time people are like, Sheila doesn't really want to talk about this and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, I'm muzzled by army brass. <laughs> and no, nobody ever laughs, ever. Well, okay. Okay, sir, you can just fill out this comment card here at this Denny's. <laughs> I think we're done. Uh, I think Aaron won the game with a score of one to zero. I won. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Rick. Yeah, you're welcome. I had no idea. I had no idea about the F, uh, the that they stole his head. It feels like a lot of work when you could, you know, probably just steal any old skull and say it's FW Minos. <laughs> I know. And it's yeah. in like, uh, he has a pretty deep, it's like a crypt. It really is a crypt. It has a, a sculpture of him outside. This is what happens when you take away people's iPhones. They get bored. <laughs> 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 that that joke's gonna age horribly. Yeah. They have this obsessive relationship with a, a work and the man that created the work, yet they're like, I need to somehow possess part of this man. Like, it, it almost yeah. has like a, a, a trying to come up with a, a corollary. It's sort of like uh, the tribal thing where you like drink the blood or somehow consume part of your enemy to become stronger. You're thinking of Predator too, <laughs> or Wesley Snipes' character in Future Sport. Yeah, <laughs> that film we've all seen. It is a uh, totemic. I I give you that. It's like I I want this this thing for my my practice or something. I don't know what it's for. I get like, I mean, it's horrible. I get why they kill a baker because it's like, he's just like a dude, right? Presumably. I don't know. He's just like a dude. So like, he's just, you know, a stepping stone to them becoming empowered and deepening their connection to whatever the fuck they're trying to deepen their connection to. But like, them knocking down a hero <laughs> so they can get stronger is, like, particularly interesting. Yeah, or, like, because he made the film, he's, like, tapped into something and his body has some sort of power, maybe? Yeah. I forgot the last line in Nosferatu. Uh, if you really like this movie, uh, come dig up my grave and then steal my skull. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He never should have put that in the movie. Yeah, I feel like that was just asking for it. That's actually at the end of Taboo. <laughs> <laughs> Weirdly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Um, thank you very much, uh, Rick, for bringing that. That was awesome. You're welcome, Peter. Hopefully we remember it this time. <laughs> Motherfuckers. <laughs> I've got a game that's much dumber called Drac Attack. And it is questions, uh, trivia questions related to Dracula and the vampire myth. Uh, you guys want to play Drac Attack with me? So much. Sure. Uh, okay. Uh, who wants to go first? Uh, sure. I'll, do, I'll go first. Aaron. How many times has Dracula been portrayed on film? A, 100 plus. B, 150 plus. C, 200 plus. D, every movie made under capitalism is a Dracula film, so at least millions. So I'm going to go 100 plus because 
The other two answers are encompassed in there. Uh, I should have put 100 to like 149 <laughs> and then 200 plus. I probably should have done that. Hello? Um, $1. Aaron, I'm willing to give you your point because of a bad, badly worded question, okay? Yeah. Think about your questions next time, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. It's the last game I write ever. Um, all right. Aaron has one point because he's a pedantic asshole. And uh, Rick, yeah. question number two. Okay. Dracula is based on which 15th century figure? Chad the Longboarder, Vape the Inhaler, Mads the Mickelson, or Vlad the Impaler? The answer is Dave. I really, really like uh, Vape the Inhaler. <laughs> I wish that was true. <laughs> His rights are always getting trampled lately. I know. I know. Guy can't catch a break. <laughs> uh, okay. Question number three. <laughs> what was the earliest known and confirmed appearance of Dracula on film? A. Nosferatu. B. Dracula's death. C. Mark of death. D. Vlad the Impaler. Or E. Bloodshedo, Way of the Vampire. It doesn't seem like there's going to be a trick question to get me out of this one. Uh, is it Nosferatu? It is not, though. Nosferatu is very, very close. Uh, technically, Dracula's death, which... Uh, ironically, is called Dracula's death. Was the fir- is is the first one came out the year before. It's a Hungarian movie, and there is a there rumored uh, Russian one called Dracula with a K. Uh, but uh, it's it's not only like a lost film, but like almost like a rumored film. Like nobody has reported really seeing it in the past like eighty years. So yeah, I used to hear about that on the playground all the time. <laughs> Yeah, Dracula's death is uh, it's it's uh, one of the great lost films of all time. Dracula's death is a lost film, but at least we know it exists. Uh, this other. So, can I challenge your question and be like, okay, well, show me one of these other films that came before Nosferatu? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it actually is an interesting thing where it's like, well, I guess from a historical standpoint, that's true, but we don't have it anymore. So, you know, what what does that mean? Exactly. For uh, viewers today, you know. If I can get all of my questions right on technicalities. I'd- <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's interesting because like Dracula's death is a lost film, but it's a lost film that like we have many, many reports of people having seen. Whereas the Russian one that supposedly was from the year before Dracula with a K um, is uh, is like a lost film. But like the reports of it being seen are like kind of sketchy. So like some some um, uh, some his film historians are like this movie might not even have, have existed. This might have been a hoax or a, a mistake. Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, moving on to great punk. <laughs> I think like back then, like if you wanted to say a movie existed, you just like if you worked at a film board, you just like wrote a fake title in a ledger and then some asshole 80 years later is like, <laughs> where do I find the refelchening? Question <laughs> <laughs> number four. <laughs> Rick, when yeah. I visited the Coppola Vineyard in my adolescence, uh, what prop from his adaptation of Dracula is featured in a case and convinced me to purchase a DVD of that film, Bram Stoker's Dracula? A, do they sell that at the vineyard? They sell DVDs, uh, not this this prop, but they sell DVDs of uh, Coppola movies at the vineyard. And I don't know why I insisted on buying the DVD there. 
considering. I it guarantee signed. it was fucking expensive. Yeah, probably. I don't remember because I think at, at 12, all DVDs were expensive. So, um, <laughs> anyways. Uh, a, Dracula Surfboard. B, uh, Gary Oldman's Bump It. C, Gary Oldman's Teeth. D, Dracula's Rib Suit of Armor. Or E, Van Helsing's Cane. I think it's C. Uh, Gary Oldman's teeth makes uh, makes a lot of sense, but it's actually Dracula's ribbed suit of armor. <laughs> wow, really? Yeah. They just have that, like, when you walk into the vineyard, you're just like, hey, I'd like some wine. Ah. <laughs> There's a- like, that's what happens every time. <laughs> my parents wanted to go. We went to so many kid vacations growing up, and then one year, my parents were like, we're going to Napa Valley, and we were all like... What's an example of a kid vacation? Where did you guys go earlier? Like Disneyland, or... Yeah, sure. Uh, like, when I was really young, we went to um, Dollywood, like, or, you know, just, sure. like, shit that, like, kids can go to, water parks and stuff. Um, yeah, the right. The Crick. Right. Yeah, <laughs> the Crick. We went to the Crick. Um, yeah, you went You went down the hill we went to the, the Crick. Yeah, we went to Rick's Crick. I did have a Crick. You should have come to my Crick. It was nice. There were toads. There were toads. Did you have overalls? <laughs> I actually ran alongside of it with my dog, Sammy. 100% true. This is all awesome, and I wish I had your childhood. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, so we normally went on, like, kid vacations, and then uh, one year they were like, we're going to go to California. We were all thinking Disneyland, and instead it was Napa Valley, which meant that uh, we all got dragged along to my parents going to vineyards. And, and drunk. <laughs> it was so boring. None of us were 21, I don't think. Uh, I'm of I'm four siblings, and I think like three to four of us were not 21, so it was particularly boring. Uh, and then there's Hey, just, Peter, what? other kids whose names we know, uh, we're going to go get drunk this week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was totally that. Where they were like, Okay, so you're too old for us to just leave you in the house. <laughs> <laughs> but there are a lot of stones in this parking lot. Yeah. I bet you could I bet you could make something cool. <laughs> See, that would have been a fine vacation for me because I'm guessing the hotels you stayed at had cable TV and we didn't until I was like 17. Yeah, that was a big deal for me too. So that would have been like, oh, so I can just you guys are going to go away and not parent us and I can watch TV all day. This is the best vacation of all. Yeah, they didn't even they didn't leave us at the hotel. They brought us with to the vineyard, which like when you're that young, also, you can't appreciate pretty things either. Like I also went to Yellowstone. (laughs) (laughs) I went to Yellowstone and it was totally fucking wasted on me. Oh, I went to Yellowstone. Was great. Maybe you can't appreciate. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, maybe that was, maybe that was your issue. <laughs> I was just like a fat kid that like didn't want to go hiking, and now I'm like, oh, I'd love to go to Yellowstone. But at the time, I was like, I was like, this sucks. Especially, yeah, I, I was from Illinois. Like those mountains should have blown my mind. But I was just like such a blase adolescent that I was like. Eh. Right. Uh, so, anyways, uh, we had a moose trample by us like five feet when I was in Yellowstone at that age. That's awesome. Scary as shit. Yeah, that is, that yeah. Scary. You heard a moose careening through the, the fucking forest? Yeah. I spent uh, a little while in Germany when I was a child. That's where I learned my numbers. That's where I learned my letters. Uh, I probably knew German better than English for a little while. Yeah, we were in the Alps. I went skiing in the Alps. I was pretty impressed by it. I don't know about you and fucking Yellowstone, but I was pretty cool with it when I was five. 
But maybe like five years later, I would have been, you know, it's like, man, what's on TV? Yeah, I think I was like, why can I just watch Japanese ultraviolet movies instead of seeing <laughs> <Sam> nature? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I think I was like eight. So I was just like mad and fat. <laughs> was not not going well for me. Now yeah. I love nature. Like I'm the I'm the annoying guy that like went to Zion like a year and a half ago, and now I'm like I gotta go back. Like I'm yeah. that guy. Um, I haven't been. I hear it's awesome. We'll go together. I'll take anybody okay. that I'll, I'll take anybody that wants to go because it's like I'll go with you. Let's go before they turn it into a water park. Um, all right. Question number five. This is a tiebreaker. This is not a good tie- For who? It's not a good tiebreaker. False? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I I have a question. Do you want me to ask, uh, yeah, ask, ask Aaron this question and yeah. see if he gets this one right? Yeah, go ahead. That's, and that's if the, I get it right, I win? I don't know. That doesn't make any sense. This game is falling apart. <laughs> uh, should I do this? Should we do this, yeah, Aaron? We have to move on somehow. Yes, this is how we're going to move on. So, uh, if you get this right, you win. If you get it wrong, I win. That's how it goes. So, on their... So into these games. On their certified gold 1977 record, Spectres, your favorite band, I think, uh, Blue Oyster Cult, included a song called Nosferatu, inspired by the film. Which of these lyrics appear in the song? Uh, Darkness imprisoning me, all that I see, Nosferatu... Nosferatu, Nosferatu, oh no, oh no. I wish. Don't know about her, don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure this movie is about the Jews. C. The morning sun had come too soon, the spell was broken with a kiss of doom. Or D. Nosferatu is a vampire down in Bremen, he knows exactly what the facts been. He won't let Hutter escape justice, he makes his living off other people's taxes. <laughs> I hope it's D, but I'm going to go with C. Yeah, the answer is C. Aaron wins. Wow. I think next week I'm going to come back with some completely ridiculous game and make pit you two against each other. Yeah. So that I can be the game master. (laughs) That works for me, man. Or I won't do that. It's going to be one of those two. (laughs) Either I will do it or I won't do it. We'll find out. It's a game. Next week on We Love to Watch. Uh, Do you guys want to start talking about Nosferatu, a symphony of horror? Yeah. Uh, I believe I'm the five second recap because you did the five second on future sports. <laughs> um, uh, five second recap is uh, it's kind of the story of Dracula, but stripped down to its bare bones and it is fucking awesome. So uh, it's basically the story of Dracula that you're familiar with so much so that uh, Murnau was sued successfully by the Stoker estate. Uh, Harker uh, works in real estate and he is uh, sent by his boss to uh, go visit a uh, Count Dracula, a Nosferatu, a Count Orloff, depending on the translation you have. We'll get into that in a minute. Um, And uh, 
the he sent off to Transylvania from his native Bremen, uh, leaving his uh, bride to be Nina behind. Nina starts having strange dreams. Nina starts having premonitions of his death. Uh, Nina starts uh, learning more about the secret of the, the vampire. We also see uh, this character Van Helsing, who's mostly just talking about uh, the vampire mythos and these different animals, or, or excuse me, insects and plants that. Um, sort of embody parts of the vampire mythos. While this is happening, uh, Harker or Hutter or whoever, whatever translation you had, uh, Hutter is off in, uh, in Transylvania. He's at the castle, as you've seen in many of these adaptations, and the monstrousness of Dracula, Nosferatu, whatever, is revealed, and he is attacked by him, drained of some of his blood, but he manages to escape, is healed by the, the, some peasants nearby who are terrified of the castle. Uh, and yet they save him, sort of nurse him back to health enough for him to hit the road back to Bremen to try and beat Dracula, who's also going back to Bremen and is buying an estate directly across from the Harker estate. At the, the end of the movie, Nina discovers that he, she can defeat Nosferatu and lift this plague that has been uh, beset upon the town uh, if she uh, gives herself willingly to him. And uh, stays with him until um, stroke of dawn and the, the cock crows dawn. She does that and successfully defeats Nosferatu. So uh, I don't you, we can actually edit this out, but isn't her name Ellen? There is. OK, so, yeah, let's no. We'll leave this in. There is a weird thing going on where, like, I saw when I first saw this movie, it had different names. Um Count Orlock, uh, Hutter, I believe, is is uh, Harker's name. Yeah, uh, Hutter. It, yeah, it's just so, Thomas and Ellen Hutter, I thought. Yeah, so the original book and in the version that I watched, the names are Dracula, his assistant or his slave, Renfield. Nina is the wife. Lucy is her friend. Harker is, sure. is the pro- male protagonist. Those are all the names from the original version, which I think is uh, – uh, a product of the movie just eventually surviving that suit of uh, the the Stoker estate. So, which what were the what were the names in your guys's version? Because I the, the version I watched that was what they were called. Yeah, I watched the Kino uh, restoration, uh, which is actually really cool because they they added a lot of title cards and kind of uh, like when they were reading print, it looked the font was different or the colors were different. Highly recommend uh, either getting the Blu-ray or renting the. Kino Restoration, but yeah, it was Count Orlock, it was Thomas Hutter, Ellen Hutter, and Knock. I remember reading as well that, uh, yeah, they did at some point when it fell into the public domain that people basically inserted new title cards to make it closer to the Dracula story. Same for me. I watched the Kino version, but I remember the film uh, as being Nina and Hutter, these other things, like the the sort of knockoff uh, version that's come down to us. Through the ages is kind of like the one that I know, you know what I mean? And I haven't seen this since I was in high school, I think, college maybe. This is the first time I saw it, so I guess I don't remember. Um, besides, I, I know it was Count Orlock. Yeah, sure. I, I, I can't I can't remember. And what an name. awesome name, right? Orlock. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, sure. Uh, and I'll, I'll ignore that uh, in my notes a few times I wrote Count Olaf, which I <laughs> don't know what that's from. That sounds like something. That's from a yeah. um, um, series of unfortunate events. Uh, I was watching that on Netflix. <laughs> I think I called him. Thank- I think I called him Orloff. 
uh, which a few seconds ago when I was fucked up. <laughs> yeah, I think you did. He's most definitely Orlock, which I think is like yeah. just it, it encapsulates some sort of menace. Do we want to take a step back quick and kind of just talk about our history with this movie? Sure. Yeah. We see, I know, I think we've all seen it before, but uh, when we saw it before, what, what we thought of it that time, how we f- felt about it this time, some general thoughts before we start digging into some broader themes. Yeah. Rick, why don't you go first? So, I read uh, Dracula as a teenager. Um, I read a lot of horror stuff as a teenager, and that's a pivotal text. I saw this movie uh, around the same time, maybe about 15 years old. I remember thinking that it was much, much scarier than other versions of the story that I'd seen on film. He was creepier. The motif of rats coming out of things and his sort of like rat-like face and his claws and his bald head and stuff uh, were, they made more of an impression on me than the sort of like Count Chocula vision that's come down to us from <laughs> the Bela Lugosi version where it's like, you know, he wasn't like an I, I want to suck your blood Dracula. He was like actually a pretty scary dude. So yeah, that was my main my main feeling about it. I saw the Herzog version, uh, the remake, which he shot on many of the same locations as uh, Murnau did. 80 years later. Pretty incredible. And I was really into that because I was really into Herzog at that point. I've I've always gravitated towards this particular telling of the story as opposed to the other one, which I felt tended more towards camp than, um, than scary. So I guess that's my story. I actually think, I'm almost positive, that this is the first silent movie I ever watched. Um, I watched it in high school. And, you know, kind of going through starting to find Roger Ebert's great movies list, AFI list and stuff like that. And, you know, uh, was was really was really into horror, especially in high school and was like, oh, this will be this will be excellent. Um, And I especially wanted to push to watch it because uh, I was going to see I knew about the Shadow of the Vampire movie that was coming out. Okay, I thought that was a great concept. The idea of like, oh, this is actually a real thing that happened. And that's so I wanted to to obviously watch the original before uh, I went with some friends to see that in the theaters. And so I, you know, it was weird watching it again because I really liked it when I saw it in high school. But when you're watching your first ever silent movie, I probably didn't attach to it as strongly as I did this time. You know, looking at my letterbox rating, I think I gave it five stars or something from memory. Maybe I, I think I respected it more back then, which is something you do with something you don't quite know the language of yet. Like, you're like, well, that was really cool. It had a lot of great images. But I'm also processing a new way to watch movies, and so it just didn't have the same staying power while I still walked away from it going... Oh, yeah. Masterpiece movie. You know, that sense of wanting to get into cinephilia and appreciating classics, but maybe not knowing the language as well to really personalize them. And this time it was, you know, I, I absolutely loved it. I think I appreciated some of those subtleties a little more, especially now that I've seen way more versions of Dracula. I've seen the Herzog remake, which is uh, still my favorite version of any Dracula story, period. Uh, but this is a very close second, and between Max Schreck and kind of the the pretty heady and almost like taboo uh, themes, it feels like they were talking about very clearly in this movie uh, for its time. 
I uh, yeah, I, I I loved it before, or I should say I respected it before, and I claim to love it, and I feel like now I really do love it. I, I had a similar story. I watched it in high school, just loved the specific imagery of it, kind of burned its way into my head. Everyone's familiar, at least, with the look of Nosferatu. It's arguably um, one of the most famous film images ever, is, is him rising from his crypt, or more, actually, probably more so him drinking the blood of uh, Nina. Or that shot on the ship, I feel like, where he's, like, looking down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's even, like, growing up, I there's an episode of Spongebob that makes, like, Nosferatu jokes. And I know, I was, I was just reading about that. Did you actually see that when it came out? I didn't yeah. until now. I saw that before I saw the movie. Um, no, cool. I was so I was like familiar with it as like a pop culture thing, and then I saw it as like this is a serious movie, and and yeah, I respected it, and then I slowly grew to love it. Um, and also, I had a, a habit in high school and college of watching silent movies and putting my own soundtracks over it. And this movie was one of those those movies that uh, suffered the the torment of me putting like. <laughs> Ways of here now. <laughs> yeah, me putting Sledgehammer by Peter Gabriel. And Pavement slanted and enchanted. <laughs> mostly Baltimore. No, I, I, me, me putting like shitty ambient music over it. Uh, so it's Peter High School. That's early two thousands. That's Beyonce crazy and low. <laughs> yeah, I'm teasing a little, but I actually have a note where I want to talk about how one of the amazing things about silent films is you can score them. So yes. you're way ahead of me. I have a whole, I have a whole thing. We can talk about that this week, and I also want to talk about it next week because I would love to talk about that with Haxon because this watch for Haxon, since I just watched it in October, this watch for Haxon, I'm going to score it myself. Let's save it for Haxon just because I feel like we, I want to make sure we get to the other stuff. I'm just yeah. throwing it out there because that's a yeah. thing where like silent movies, uh, unless they had a specific score attached to it, I love doing that. I did it in high school with Cabin and a Dr. Caligari all the time too. Uh, but yeah, so this movie uh, is a movie that I got very attached to. It also moves really quickly. And yeah. the fact that it, that combined with the fact that, you know, everybody knows the, the basic story. Like, I don't know anybody that doesn't know the story of Dracula pretty, you know, the ending is a little different than the story, the, the Todd Browning version or the uh, Coppola version or, you know, cartoon versions of it. But it's the same sort of thing. Dracula is defeated in the end through the help of Nina. Uh, yeah, I, the the imagery of it has burned its way in, into my memory in a really potent way. And uh, watching it again, I, I've sort of said before that like there are very few movies before 1965 that scare me. And that's not like me being a blase younger person. It's legitimately because horror movies are made to scare a specific audience. And eventually you're far enough away from that audience that sometimes it's hard to connect on such a visceral level of stuff. There's something about, about Orlock, Orlock's look that just like cuts through space and time is so scary. Just as like a, this potent, disgusting imagery. And yeah, that's, that's half the power of the, more than half the power of the movie. I think is how awesome Max Shrek is in this movie. It doesn't scare Peter because he's like, I don't need to be scared of this. All these people are dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Especially Murnau. Yeah. They had to be dead if someone's... He doesn't even have a head anymore. Shit. <laughs> but his skull is out there somewhere. <laughs> this movie absolutely fills me with a sense of dread. I feel like Herzog's version is the same. And Ebert said something very similar in his review where he was like, does this movie scare me? No. Does it make me uneasy and uncomfortable? Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Right. And before we really get into that, this is a little bit separate from the movie, but I think this is my first time watching, like, a full HD remaster of a silent movie. And I gotta say, it was a little weird. Uh, It almost looks too good. There's something about it from my previous experience watching silent movies. Like, I love silent movies. I don't know if I've ever watched a full remaster, um... And uh, and it almost looked a little bit like... What's the nature of your objection? Yeah. Not an objection. It was just bizarre. It almost looked like someone just got super crazy with, with like, a Apple After Effects and just added a bunch of filters. It almost... It reminded me a little bit of watching, like, Call of Cthulhu from 2005, where they shot it like a silent movie, but it looks still, like, a little bit too realistic from my experience of watching it. So it just... It, it wasn't... It didn't distract from the movie. It's not a bad thing. And I'm glad that we're remastering these. And I even have some Blu-rays that I must not have watched of some silent movies yet that I had previously seen that I purchased. It just... this, Or maybe it's just the TV I was watching on this time or whatever. <laughs> but it really felt like, like, oh my gosh, this, this kind of looks like it was shot today. And I've had that experience a lot with black and white movies that I've seen that have been like full, the full yard yeah. remaster. Yeah. This is the first time I felt that for like a... A silent movie like this, and maybe maybe this is a worthless point because you guys didn't have the same experience, but it just it felt worth mentioning to kind of see something like this, and and see this type of like sepia tone silent movie in just a completely new light. I don't think it's a worthless point at all. If I could jump in, I think it raises the question of why do we watch silent films in the first place? Like sometimes part of it is because it's we want this connection to uh, an older time in cinema. Yeah, yeah. there's something fundamentally dreamlike about the silent film about the crackles in the presentation or whatever like we we actually want that it's like if it's too pristine then you might be actually diminishing the power of this thing that apparently as audiences we are interested in in gathering sometimes if you watch like uh guy madden films or you know um, yeah or, you know, you even watch uh, Grindhouse or you watch people recreating 70s exploitation stuff. The whole notion, the whole idea is that the medium itself becomes part of our experience, right? So, yeah. if you erase all that stuff, then it becomes a different experience. And uh, I, think that's, I think that's relevant to discussions of why it is we still watch movies from 100 years ago. Because, I mean, I know you guys do. I do. I know a couple of other people do, but not that many people do. I, I think that's. I think it's totally spot on because you're either watching it as an artifact uh, and engaging it with with it as such, which might kind of dehumanize what's going on in the film. And in in a, in a silent movie where the performances are, you know, a lot of these were theater actors, and they're coming from the profession where broader more operatic physical performances are, are the point. Something that, you know, sort of performances that you don't see every day in normal movies. Like, that turns off a lot of people. Wide-armed sort of performances that you see in, in a lot of these movies. Not every silent movie, but a lot of them, particularly people that came from theater background. I think that turns off people, and like that combined with a filter of, of visual noise might create a sort of a separation between you and the humanity of the piece, which uh, isn't always good. Like, I think that's why sometimes I get sleepy when I'm watching silent movies at home. 
is because I'm not connecting with any human beings. I'm just connecting with images. It's funny you say that because there was even criticism at the time. The technical perfection and the clarity of the images did not fit the horror theme. So even then, <laughs> they thought that like uh, the vampire looked too um, too well lit and too gorgeously framed for it to be scary because it didn't have that sort of uh, rough uh, grinding look to it that, that some horror films at the time were expected to have. I was just going to say, and at some point you do need to, like when you're watching something from hundred years ago, like Rick said, you do have to appreciate it from its time. You do have to almost compartmentalize that you are almost grading it on a curve. And that's not to diminish from how good a movie can be, or that this isn't as good as modern movies, but this is a good this this movie is a really good example of some of the dialogue and the lines being obvious to the point of parody. Like if you if you saw someone in a movie now who got um, bitten by a vampire and said, "Oh, I just have two mosquito bites right close together," that would never work as horror anymore. Audiences are too aware that, hey, dumbass, that's a fucking vampire bite that got you. Everyone knows what that is. It, 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 it's not realistic to believe the ignorance of the character in that situation. So you do have to compartmentalize a little bit and say, okay, this is not parody. This is not dumb. And I think if you can't do that, it's very hard to watch these movies because it's easy to just look at and go, well, that's that's stupid. Oh, yeah. Um, and I have the notes that say all the title cards are so on the nose. Yeah, it's, it is like a parody. It's like some you could you could take the dialogue and make a 80s version of like a Zucker Abrams movie and just put this into people's mouths and it would be hilarious. But it works because it's, it's from its time and everything from the visuals to the acting to the lines all fit a version of what we what we think uh, a movie from the 20s should be like. I guess I'd like to talk just a little bit about how uh, we receive these films now. Obviously... On my iPhone. <laughs> like, like, like David Lynch. You're, you're a regular yeah. David Lynch. In their time, they, they were received, or this one was received as pretty frightening or whatever. But it also got kind of promptly forgot because of the uh, lawsuit stuff. It actually, I think after its premiere in 1922, it wasn't screened again in, for another 30 years. So that's pretty intense. It's insane. But watching silent movies now for me, like I'm a big fan of silent movies. I really enjoy them. And it, this is going to sound really, really boring to your audience, I think. But I feel like most movies are too loud and they're too fast. I just don't dig them. There's like so many cuts. There's so many things that happen. Mentally, find it hard to process in many ways. So I kind of gravitate towards these kind of films because you can turn the sound down in this. You can get rid of the imposed score, put on your own song or whatever, and you end up with images, right? And images are the foundational aspect of cinema. Without images, we wouldn't have movies. We get to look at the ways in which these things are constructed and connected. Something like Nosferatu, like Max Shrek is terrifying. Like I just watched Dracula the other day, um, the top Browning version. It is not terrifying. It's at not, all. yeah. No. Uh, and it doesn't even feel like it's supposed to be. It doesn't feel like it's supposed to be. It almost feels like a pre... It's like they knew Abbott and Costello were coming, and they were trying to, like, 
set the stage or something. Like it feels like a, <laughs> yeah, it feels like a it joke. It almost seems like they were st- trying to start a franchise character, and I know that's not what the, they yeah. necessarily thought that way, but that's watching that today. That's what it feels like they were trying to do. Right. So with these silent things and with uh, the the pre-sound era, you have this thing where it's actually like a pure image construct where you just get to look at the pictures. They really are. I mean, all of our movies are, are images strung together. That's how you make a movie. When you examine these things in context, it's it's pretty fascinating to see how framing works, how lights work how um, costumes work, how people work, how vantage points shape your perspective as a viewer. And uh, I think that's one of the things that's really valuable about watching one of these movies. And I totally get what you're saying about the comfort aspect. I said on the show before that when I'm like, uh, you know, sick or have the flu or something, that I gravitate towards um, horror and sci-fi movies from the 40s and 50s because I find they're, um, they're a lot slower than the current ones. And I found they're... And there's a lot of stuff going on a screen from monsters or thing that can still keep my interest through whatever bug I'm going through. But I, their whole like gee whiz attitude uh, towards everything is 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 comforting in a way. I feel like there there is the, the you're right. The language of cinema has changed greatly. That there is a receding back to a different era and how they process their images and how they told a story is is a lot of is it can be very enjoyable compared to just watching a certain type of movie being made because they're not the, movies aren't necessarily getting better they're getting different and they they get different every error in gen, in general yeah the language has to change and, to adapt to new yeah. audiences that's kind of what i was saying exactly. earlier with the how i think Horror, like generally speaking, I'm the if you had to get t- say ten movies that I'm most scared of, most of them are going to be from the past twenty years, and that's because those movies were shooting for audiences that are closest to my perspective, and I just happen to gel. I, They're speaking to uh, to things that you understand and and know in your daily life. That's you know you know that dumb hipster thing that people say like I wasn't I was uh, wasn't made for these times, and I love the Beach Boys. It's a Beach Boys quote. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was gonna say yeah. I, I love the Beach Boys, but uh, they, <laughs> those hipsters. But I think they helped create a really annoying thing that I hear from people like, man, I just feel like the '70s were more my time. Or like, man, I wish. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, and I'm like, oh yeah, you're saying that because you're white and straight and from the suburbs. Like you yeah. would have not done well in the '70s at all if you were any of not those things. Anyways, it's also it's also yeah, like totally. say like music was better in the '60s. Like go look at the fucking Billboard top 100 yeah. for any year in the '60s, <laughs> and you tell me it's not like the same type of shit that's on the top 100 yeah. Billboard so, now. Like yeah, I would guess that my non my non-white friends are not dreaming of the the halcyon <laughs> days of the 1920s. Yes, yes, yes. I, I'm really scared that uh, our non-white friends are going to be dreaming of like a 15-year period from maybe 2008 to 2016. Uh it's going to be slim if things turn around negatively again here. Yeah, well, we can fuck maybe, it maybe up. Maybe take that out. Yeah, so I uh, not, to, not to reroute too fast, but there's also speaking to kind of what Rick was saying. There's a sort of like universality to silent movies because 
the title cards and like this is something you know Buster Keaton was a huge fan of is is title cards are kind of just like awkward stitching between scenes and to get rid of them is is impressive like the least number of sure. cards is something that you should be lauded for because that means you're expressing everything visually and blah blah, blah. so uh there's a sort of like beautiful universality when you're watching this movie where you feel like um, you're watching like 99% of the same movie that a German person would be watching or you're watching like 99% as the same person as a French person would be watching. Like it's it's whereas like a, with a movie like a comedy from five years ago in French, you're getting the subtitled version and if you don't speak French, like you're not getting certain like nuances and you know the translator is is has a a, a, a job a job to do there could be an idiom that like just escapes you yeah that's you know? i will say it was very it was very confusing to me the first couple times I, I still remember watching uh silent movies for the first time and being like well why aren't they putting a title card every time their mouths move yeah yeah <laughs> what do they say yeah. like, and it is kind of confusing because you have to like watch the mouths moving and then ignore the mouths moving watch their face moving yeah there's something beautiful about that sort of like leanness totally the the growth of of the cinema in general was in large part because you could apply uh title cards in different languages um for yeah. international distribution that's really how distribution grew in many ways like it didn't matter you had to rely on the image and now it's full circle because now it's yeah now it's explosions that go yeah oh, <laughs> right right <laughs> they're like you understand what a building collapsing looks like right yeah <laughs> um, it's uh and it's interesting because there are certain sequences where like uh there's really beautiful like nature photography almost where I, I don't know if it was first unit or second unit and i doubt the term second unit means anything to a 1922 <laughs> director but uh the there's a nature photography it was all like, like one dude <laughs> yeah yeah it was it was like this one group of people that just shot until they got something that they thought they could sell but yeah so um there's a venus flytrap capturing a fly and there's some there's like a polyp scene and they're sort of like trying to visually even though van helsing doesn't play any role in the, in the climax right no yeah he's just sort of a doctor he's not even he's probably not even van helsing in the german version right he's just a doctor or scientist yeah i don't remember a van helsing but yeah he's he, they're doing this sort of nature photography thing and the scene is is is, is expressing visually the idea that you want that there's these sort of carnivorous yeah. monsters that that take you in and they get stronger from it and the movie has to sort of visually it's really charming because the movie is sort of visually expressing what a vampire is in 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 a way that's like uh, self-conscious but in a way I find charming. I don't know if this is something that you could identify with, Rick, but there is... I just think of this video game, Last of Us. It's, it's, a, it's a video game where there's these very specific monsters. And in the background of the, of the game, they actually base these monsters on cordyceps, this uh, fungi that, like, takes over ants and then, you know, has specific... Um, behavioral yeah thing. so it's it's the vampire fungi yeah i've heard about this sure but last of us is so confident in its monsters and explaining it to you visually that they're like we can show you a new monster it doesn't matter we don't have to like sit down and have a scientist explain this to you that like in 2014 or whatever that game came out they didn't even explain that they had roots and cordyceps they didn't explain any of that in the game and that's how much times have changed where, like, this movie came from a time where, like, if you were introducing a monster that the audience didn't understand, you had to sit down and show them, like, kind of, like, 
hardcore examples of what this monster does. I love, <laughs> right. I love well, that. I love that. It's so charming to me. It is great. I love the Venus flytrap scene. I will say what my one mild criticism of this movie, and I know that it's kind of fitting in with uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, but considering how much else they sort of changed, I wouldn't have minded this change, but I actually wish they would have really dialed back the amount of awareness that people had on vampires. Uh, there's not that much, and I think that's why you get a little taste of this idea of what if it's never really talked about? What if just the audience knows? Because the, the concept of vampires, at least in Bram Stoker's language, is was relatively new. You know, you're talking about 20 years later. So th- those kind of times that they broke and I, you're right, Peter, it is kind of a confidence thing. And they're probably explaining uh, a newer concept to audiences that might not understand it. But I would have loved to see those scenes just pulled back a little bit and that it's never really identified besides just like in the back half when they start saying vampire more often, it kind of made me wish of the time when no one seemed to know what was going on. There was just something terrible. There is absolutely no doubt that it would be scarier if um, nobody knew what was going on. The Van Helsing character, um, I don't think, increases the terror. I think he's there to assuage the audience. Your skepticism more so. Yeah, he's like the rationalist figure who's like, yeah, well, here's how it works guys and that's also for the audience as well and yeah it would be so much scarier but you have to understand i think i think everybody has to understand like this was a couple of decades from the creation of cinema yeah this is one of the earliest treatments of this thing and it's still pretty fucking scary (laughs) can we can we talk about max shrek Let's talk about Max Shrek. Yeah, let's. So yeah, yeah we should probably talk about Max Shrek. <laughs> the, let's let's jump into it because uh, he's so goddamn creepy, and he is sort of like the Bella Lugosi of this movie in the sense that not just that he's the Dracula, but in a figurative sense also because like Bella Lugosi is far and away the best part of the Todd Browning Dracula. Like I really don't like the Todd Browning Dracula uh, movie that much. Like the Mummy is actually of that era the mummy is actually like the better version of that story hey hey peter have you have you seen it recently dracula yes i did not like todd browning's dracula recently yeah i I watched it like last week okay cool the mummy is so much better anyways go on and and the spanish language version is much i still haven't seen the spanish language actually i'm about to watch that probably tomorrow Oh, yeah. Let me know what you think. Yeah, so The Mummy is a much better version of the Dracula story. Bela Lugosi is amazing, and I don't want to throw shade at him, but he's literally the only thing amazing in that movie. Similar to this, but in a much less regard, I think that Max Shrek as a character and a monster is so transcendent to the rest of the movie. Like, uh, I have a lot of problems with the the protagonist, Harker, Hutter, uh, and uh, some with Nina, but I have a lot of problems with uh, Harker as a protagonist, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But I think Shrek is, like, far and away the best part of this movie on every level. And his makeup. We should give the makeup designer, whoever the makeup designer is. Yeah, thumbs up. Get all the Oscars. All the Oscars. (laughs) You know what else? I think think we should give the costume designer some credit, too, because that was something I noticed on this one, that the outfits that they give him still seem uh, different than what everyone else is wearing. And I thought, you know, that's a really nice touch. I love the Robin Hood outfit that he's wearing when when, uh, Hunter first meets him. Yeah, with the buttons. Yeah, with the buttons. And he's got the hat, like the triangle hat with the one feather. Yeah. 
loved it. I know. It's, it's also uh, sort of in keeping with expressionism. It's really angular. Like it helps cast a very yeah. interesting shadow on backgrounds. Sure. I, I, I love sure. the sort of like harsh, harsh angles to it. Yeah. Now, Peter, I found out today... Uh, that you have not seen the Herzog remake. I have not. I have not. That's on my. That's yeah. That's on my uh, my Spooktober list for 2017. That is how I found it out. <laughs> uh, um, but uh, it, you know, I think Ebert said something at the time that the only reason that it was worth remaking this movie is because Kinski was the only person that could play Max Shrek. Essentially, not even Count Orlock. Like he, you needed Kinski to be able to play the actor who was playing this character in the first place. Right. And that's probably a mangled version of what he was trying to say. No, it's pretty close. But it's, but it's true because he, he was so singular that I really think that there was, it's almost impossible to duplicate. And the fact that we t- did potentially, I think you could make the argument twice with, with actors that really embodied the character is only a result of the fact that this movie has been around for a hundred years and that time eventually <laughs> creates doubles of things. But the, the 60 years that this movie went uh, without being able to replicate anyone that could have come close to this is, is amazing. And he, he, he is, he is, it's, it's, it's kind of a shame that he never really was in anything else to this level. Um, I would have even appreciated the Universal Monster versions of sequels to this movie if they hadn't been sued out of existence almost because it just is so singular. This is a great moment to bring up the fact in much of our mythology about Dracula, it focuses on the seductive, right? Yeah. It's sexy. Dracula is like a sexy figure in our cultural imagination. Are you implying that Max Shrek is not? I am absolutely alleging that Max Shrek is not a particularly sexy (laughs) vampire. (laughs) The thing is, like, when Herzog cast Kinski, like, it's creepy. He does that shit with, uh, you know, he has, like, the fingers, the nails scraping on things. Yeah. Um, that's a very... He's uh, just a fucking animal in that movie. Like, yeah. I mean, the, the word is feral. The word is animalistic. That's, like, what people remember about that film. But it also applies to the original. And it yeah. it stands in stark contrast to our general notion of who Dracula is. Because Dracula, from Lugosi on down, is a lot sexier. And I feel like that's... That's a really important thing to note in talking about this movie. It's just, it's a strange thing. Max Shrek is not going to fuck you. Max Shrek is going <laughs> to, I don't know what he's going to do, but it's not going to be good. You yeah, know what I'm saying? He, he's got like a leech quality to it. Yeah, he doesn't have like a seduction scene. And I, I, I have some things to say uh, in relation. I have like almost nothing else to say about the Todd Browning version because I don't think it's that interesting. But I have things to say about this movie in comparison to the Coppola um, Dracula, which I, I bet of us three, I'm the one that's the biggest fan of because it's it's got. I do. I do like that. Mo- I do like that. Well, I don't even know what you're talking about. I like that movie a lot, Peter. Oh, OK. Awesome. Because I think it's I think that's a movie actually that would benefit from someone going back and just making it a silent movie so it could cut out some of the uh, the vocal performances um i'm glad i'm glad i'm in I'm, it ought to have been a silent movie in the first place yeah <laughs> i'm glad i'm in the i'm in a friendly company then when i say this because i think that the the bram stoker uh, coppola dracula version um 
tries to kind of toe the line. So it has both the um, the feral, not feral, but it has a sort of a gross Dracula when you first meet him. He's wearing that like big hair and he, and he has like a sort of like, yeah, he has sort of a feral quality where he's licking up the blood and, and, and such. He has almost like a zombie quality. Like he's not, he's, he's, he's a corpse. Yes. And he, he's, he's, he's this wraith, this disgusting sort of thing. And then um, once he sort of repaired himself and he, he's off to seduce Nina, you also buy it because Gary Oldman has, has dressed himself up a little bit he has like a pet wolf and he's got like this like really nice looking facial hair and gary oldman is looking handsome and it's sort of that movie tries to do both the nice thing about nosferatu is that like he's just this like force of nature that comes into town and he and he's he's signaled as like a sort of plague this like force of death that's just sweeping in and and taking things down in in its wake whereas like um, right which is a hundred percent borrowed from Murnau's Nosferatu. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that scene. Uh, we, we we should we should do that movie at some point. But that scene where the the rats are invading the city and the, near the end of the movie is like has stuck with me for years now. I don't think the remakes just copied the uh, the Bela Lugosi version. Uh, the remakes in the future sequels and such. Herzog's remake, obviously, they like the the, the influence of Nosferatu went on uh, as this sort of like feral force of nature, not just this like charming sad guy. <laughs> Sure. I like Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula, and there's other Dracula-related movies I'm sure I like, and and or TV adaptations or stuff like that. Like, I, I think there's good movies and good media that's been created about the idea of vampirism as a seduction. But what's more appealing to me is the idea of vampirism as a pestilence. And I think this movie and Herzog's version both lean so far in that direction that it becomes this this amazing masterpiece of, of in some ways what the original novel was going for was you know fear of sexuality and a fear of stds and some of these other victorian sure fears. yes and yes yes they kind of but but it but it kind of turns it and makes it and that's and that in some ways is what the seduction seduction versions are are about but this one takes that idea of the fear of stds and just it the fear of pestilence the fear of doom uh and and the sweeping doom that comes in in both of those both the herzog and the murnau versions are just the imagery is so stark and it strips away any of the humanity that comes in the seduction versions that personally it just is a more appealing story there are essentially two draculas right there is the Bela Lugosi Dracula, and there is the Max Schrenk Dracula. Yeah. And those are the two competing versions of this myth that have animated our pop culture. And the seduction one won out. Yes. Like, oh, of course. Well, he, he, he sells a... He, and- yeah, yeah. He fucking, uh, you know, has sex with Chris and Sort and sells us uh, cereal. That's what he does. He sells a cereal. I did not realize that he took a job uh, with Count He did. He did. Count Chocula. He is right there. <laughs> and then on Sesame Street, he teaches our children how to count. That's that's the, the sexy, cool, friendly Dracula. And I'll tell you what, though, at Sesame Street, people keep dying on that show. So there's some pestilence that's being <laughs> Well, you you got a kid, I don't. So I'll just trust. I'll trust your word on it. But I'm just. Mr. Hooper died. I mean, it could be old age and it's been on for a long time. It could be a pest. <laughs> <laughs> Who's to say? All right. Who's to say? I don't know. 
I don't know. I think that they are just tolerating it because no one else knows how to count, and it's for the good <laughs> of the the whole. <laughs> yeah, I, I just do feel like um, Nosferatu in 1922, Dracula, Todd Browning's one, um, about nine years later, represent these two threads of the myth that um, kind of interweave and underwrite our stories about blood suckers on the screen it it you know i don't i don't even really have a point they're just these two things and then two different strands of uh yeah. of ideas i i like the first two acts uh of the movie 30 days of night quite a bit uh it's not a, it's not a great movie but i i remember really liking it at the time just the first like two-thirds because it has these danny huston is this like long-toothed feral gross like sort of like murderous vampires i liked it as a sort of um anathema to the twilight and the Anne rice stuff i liked it as is this sort of like balancing force where i was like oh yeah vampires can be me gross and grody and like ripping open throats again like that i liked that sort of right balance. right right like twilight is never going to be a movie about throat ripping no 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 because it would make them less no sexy. it's gonna be about throat kissing <laughs> and I, I you know i always appreciate that when i was kind of discovering those kind of vampire movies in the 90s when i was uh really watching a lot of like because obviously most vampire movies are r-rated so i didn't get to see a lot of those stuff in high school i appreciate the different uh takes on the the story from Bram Stro- uh, to Coppola's Bram Strokers, Bram 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 Stokers. Strokers is a do it again. A, that was a do it again. I also discovered in high school. Uh, really good. Ham Stroker changed my life. Yeah. Um, uh. There was a uh, Blade, which was kind of the idea of vampires is like these uh, killable zombies that were in an action movie situation while having this kind of mythos with a arist- aristocracy of the vampires. And then there was like the interview with the vampire, which was the Anne Rice. And I liked that all those concepts could kind of uh, coexist and tell tell their own stories using the mythos. Absolutely. But it really it wasn't until the, the Nosferatu versions that you realize how uh, bereft of that version of the story almost every modern ad- adaptation is. I do think that this component of vampirism has been lost, essentially. That the, you would, unless you are a cinephilia who is seeking out Herzog or Murnau, you just, you probably aren't even aware that this exists as, as a huge part of what uh, Dracula and vampirism was supposed to be. I really disagree with that. And here's why. Um, well, fuck you, Rick. Okay, well, no. fuck you, Aaron. Just, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Come to Oakland. I'll fucking show you what's up. <laughs> oh, you, what are you gonna smack me in the face with a big bag of money? <laughs> a big bag of money. I'm gonna smack you in the face. That's how we do it. That's how we do it. Do it. That's how Rick. we do it over here. <laughs> I do think that people get that the Dracula Nosferatu mythos invokes both the seductive sexy thing and the hypnosis thing that Lugosi does in Browning's version. And I also think it invokes this really menacing thing. It's actually like a kind of xenophobic thing. Dracula is still scary to a lot of people. I don't know about your daughter. Maybe you can talk to your daughter about Dracula, but I'm pretty sure... She knows what vampires are? Yeah. Uh, I don't know where from Dake. How does she feel about vampires? Well, she likes it because she sometimes says, I'm a vampire, and then puts her arms up and goes... (sighs) 
So is it, she just listening to like the the magnetic fields a lot? <laughs> That's a reference she'll get. She'll love that. <laughs> How would she like the magnetic fields? She hasn't been sad yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I can play some magnetic fields with we we do we do some good Spotify mix. That was actually a reference to the sixths. I was digging deep that reference for <laughs> Okay. Uh, anyways, my point is simply that th- it holds both those ideas inside of it. And that's part of its appeal, I think. And part of why it's like still vital and why people keep telling vampire stories. I, I agree with that. I just, I feel like the type of movies where everything else is stripped away and it's left in this bare bones version of all of the seductress versions taken out of it is, is a pretty foreign concept. I, I agree that the component of that is present but to kind of make them like a intelligent zombies that just kind of sweep everywhere they go and leave it barren and destroyed um i feel like that as the core uh, component of vampirism has has a little bit gone away yeah yeah, it was kind of interesting. But I remember in reviews of I Am Legend, people saying, what's the difference between these and zombies? And it is kind of interesting that I think like the feral vampires, uh, zombies have kind of eaten their lunch. Yeah. One of my favorite yeah. movies, like, top three favorite movies is Blade 2. And Blade 2 is in its own way. What if the sort of charming vampires, like not necessarily all of them are sexy, but what if the sort of charming uh, vampires that are sort of normal and human had to face off against the feral ones? creates these like sort of like skittering feral creatures for right and he gets to and and Guillermo del Toro kind of gets to have his cake and eat it too in that sense um because he still gets to have like sexy vampire melancholy that he wants to have um but that also speaks to a fundamental awareness of the sort of like woke zombies and the non-woke ones (laughs) like that that's the Buffy shit right yeah I just feel like they they lean too heavily like on Blade Two, and this is not a criticism. Of Blade Two, they not be. but they're doing some. They're doing something different in the sense that, like those vampires in Blade Two, are those versions of the kind of uh, feral vampires. They're not. They're also not like society members the way either Nosferatu is. Right. Like they they have a more. They're they're feral and they're animalistic, but they're not like zombies. They're not. Just out there attacking yeah. and fighting these these blood things. They they are people, but vampires like Nosferatu have a plan. Yes, yeah. They just they and they just have a low. Key, they have a much lower key. Uh, just dread and death that surrounds them. Yeah, they're not. It doesn't feel like there is actively going out and attacking people. And some of that is just the changing way that cinema, you know, we, we live in a very action heavy, even yeah, our horror sure, movies, sure. you know, are very action heavy, but that kind of like low key, uh, destruction that they, they bring about while still kind of passing as, uh, regular everyday people, the way the sexy vampires do, uh, not as much obviously, but, uh, I, I, I just really like that. And I feel like it hasn't been done all that often, but, um, not to really derail this, but we should we should really get into scene. <laughs> yeah, so that we, I, I could just talk about vampires for like the yeah. rest of the night. <laughs> so, so one quick final thought: the one interesting thing we talk about, like the sort of movements of vampires and zombies. It's kind of interesting that in these old silent movies, because of the shutter speed, 
Max Shrek moving slowly is so creepy and it sort of uh, conjures this like creepy dread and it, it, it's really amazing and it kind of uh, explains why slow vampires and slow zombies are inherently creepier. Like this sort of like creeping march towards you. It's a big reason I'm a big It Follows fan, the sort of like creeping dread. Um, there's a scene with Max Shrek carrying his own coffin and running through the streets and it yeah it, i love that scene. It playing at that sh- that fast shutter speed yeah is so funny to me after watching like buster keaton movies because i it just looks like <laughs> it looks like comedy to me right right he, inv- he invented the mobile home yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay because the boat scene to me is the scariest part of the movie Oh, yeah. It's so yeah, fucking terrifying. If you've ever watched uh, Dracula, which I guess you both have, they just interpolate other films. It's straight up stolen from other movies. Well, yeah, and the way that people slowly start getting picked off and the way that yeah. uh, no one really knows what's going on. I actually think one of the creepiest moments is when they discover the dead ship. Yeah. In the harbor. Yeah, it's an extraordinarily uh, scary moment to me. The notion of a ghost ship, the notion of like they're transporting the soil in which vampires can grow. Um, Rats are aboard the thing and they're actually bringing the plague. That's kind of like the uh, not very subtle subtext. Yeah, I thought it was a little weird that uh, Count Orlock wrote on the ship. Uh, he sketched in one of the masts, uh, Roanoke. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a little like he did, he was leaving some clues. I guess <laughs> it's actually a in really stark counter distinction to Todd Browning's version or even Stoker's version. Yeah, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is very uh, is matched with that, and that's um, there's a very sort of everyday scene of a guy, uh, I guess like a city worker, walking down a street and putting crosses on doors for I guess uh, you know dead inside or you know sure. pl- plague has taken those inside, and there's it's it's very creepy and everyday and it's it's sort of what I love about Haxon and we'll get into that next week obviously. But uh, and there's a there's a moment where he's about to open a door and then the door opens in front of him and two guys are carrying out a casket and he has to reach in to close the door to mark it with a cross. And (laughs) yeah, that is I love plague narratives. Generally speaking, I just yeah, that's something that really jives with me. Uh, You get extra points for that. And yeah, that that's that's sort of like the rats in the boat thing where it's it's sort of an everyday thing. Yeah. Well, there's those crosses on the beach, too. Like when they're when uh, she's when waiting, are, yeah. And there's all those crosses on the beach, and I, you know, they they're not really commented on, but I'm assuming they are marking graves in this area that people go. And those are absolutely all plague, death, burials. Yeah. yeah, and that's that's super creepy. That that you're right. That's the world they live in. That where they go to relax and the ocean that that beach is just littered with with plague crosses and that's a very scary thing it's almost like if a ship shows up with no captain and a whole bunch yeah. of dead people that's kind of like normal it's kind of just like how we that's how we do now yeah and that's a very scary yeah. thing very very creepy you know one one of the things i've noticed about silent movies when, we, when i was keeping notes is that it feels like there's a lot less specific moments to call out just because of the way the movie feels like one smooth line in some ways that movies broken up with dialogues don't huh i think you might be right about that 
in some ways it feels like one constant river and it feels like there's left tributaries the way that because it, it feels like there's less subplots and there's less ways that things go and moments to talk about it it feels like a this especially this isn't always true with all silent movies obviously but this felt like a really straight a to b narrative with with so many good moments throughout but it felt like a part of a long contingent okay well i have a question for you on scenes mm-hmm. Hunter is just like he just—he's just a giggly motherfucker. He is. He's so giggly. Why is he so giggly? Because he's too stupid to know that those fucking things aren't mosquito bites. Yeah. yeah. He even says he even like when Renfield says like, "Oh, you may even have to give up a little blood." At least in my translation, he said. And uh, Renfield basically hints heavily that he's going to be harmed on this journey, and he's like, "All right." It's it's a job. I'm a loyal corporate drone, so <laughs> yeah. I want to do this. <laughs> and it's actually it's I w- I was thinking the other day. We often watch movies and we don't consider people's jobs. Yeah, yeah. So what are people's jobs in this movie? This dude's job. He's going to go secure real estate for a client from over the mountains. I guess for the enrichment of his boss and he gets like half of that and that's going to help him pay to raise his child with his wife i think yeah i think it's supposed to be like it's going to pay for the wedding or it's going to pay for their life together like yeah i think it's supposed to be a cush job because i think the count is supposed to be pretty rich and if you buy sizable real estate you know he gets a fine your commission is going to be hella fucking sweet right yeah exactly he does that he doesn't do a very good job of it. Like, he goes there and he just sucks at his job. He sucks as the protagonist. Harker's yeah. sucks in general. He, like, loses right away. Yeah. But he's not very good at his job. <laughs> the movie gets handed over to Nina eventually. He needs his wife back in Bremen to dream of him in order for him to have to facilitate his passage. Because he just is really bad at his job. That's part of the reason that I love um, the the Coppola version is because it makes Nina way more of an active agent in the movie. And she actually gets to like almost choose to fall in love with him and be conflicted about it and like gets to choose and fall in love with with Dracula. And and she seems to like um, Dracula more than she likes Jonathan Harker by the end of the movie. Like she seems fully in love with Dracula. And uh, and she has like more. Well, in both in both versions, Harker is not great. <laughs> Keanu Reeves is a good man. Leave him alone. He's a good man with the worst accent I've ever heard in film. Yeah. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Leave Keanu alone. <laughs> I think it's a larger point about the movie is that Jonathan Harker is just not a very interesting person, and the movie gets handed over to Nina, and the movie is better for it. Well, it's also kind of from an era where people uh, – you would kind of assume people uh, got together because some parents were like, oh, here you yeah. go. You guys you guys get married and have kids. So any sort of like person who might be appealing to someone uh, looks better. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think we can do some final thoughts, uh, do some plugs for our guests next week. Is that me? It's 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 yes. Rick. Oh, Rick's a yeah. Fuck. So my final thought of the movie is uh, I think I kind of summed it up that it's a um, it's a beautiful little horror movie. It's very lean. It's it's just a cavalcade of, of 
great horror imagery that sort of like burns its way into you uh and i think that it's funny that it has similar problems as every other dracula uh adaptation hmm. uh, but in it, it has its own strengths because of its leanness um that the todd browning version and you know some of the hammer versions do not have see it when you're 18 uh, and appreciate it, and then see it when you're 33 and love it. That's my... <laughs> if you're already 18 and you haven't seen it, then um, I guess you're just not allowed to watch Nosferatu. Don't, <laughs> yeah. ever, don't ever watch it. <laughs> you missed the boat. Uh, Way to fuck it up. 23-year-old. <laughs> if you old. see it when you're 27, get the fuck out yeah. of here. Yeah, what is wrong with you? What is it wrong with you? The listener. Yeah, no, it, it's fantastic. I mean, it's just an iconic performance. It's There's a reason that it kind of survived. Uh, literally, people trying to destroy this and eradicate it from uh, the world. We didn't actually even get into how much they tried to, to blow it up. They really did. Yeah, they were like some sort of, I don't know, guy... Walking around, spreading the plague. Yeah. <laughs> like a plague that ran across the whole world. <laughs> yeah. Like a duke or a prince. Yeah. Some sort of royalty. And not nice about it. <laughs> I think it's really good. Everyone should go watch it. Nailed it. Next week, uh, Rick has agreed to come back on for whatever reason. <laughs> We're going to be doing Haxon, Witchcraft Through the Ages, uh, an, obviously another silent horror. Uh, and then, Aaron, what are we doing after that? Uh, Sam Scott will be joining us to talk about the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Another another favorite of mine. So, so yeah. So, thank you so much for joining us. If you liked hearing Rick this week, uh, you know, come back next week. If you didn't, fuck you. Rick is a great <laughs> Thanks, Aaron. <laughs> Hey folks, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. If you want to get in touch with us, please reach out to us at either our website, WLTWpodcast.com, or our Facebook group, facebook.com backslash We Love to Watch. And uh, yeah, reach out to us. Give us some feedback, give us some support, uh, suggest movies for the show, all that. We are also available on SoundCloud, TuneIn, Stitcher, and iTunes. Thanks for listening.